Good evening, everybody. Welcome to RUF. So glad to have you here. Uh, I've been excited all day because I've been so encouraged by this, by this text. Uh, I, hope, I hope you will be too. Uh, we're continuing our series in Colossians. If you haven't been here, we've been going through the book of Colossians. We're finishing chapter 2 tonight in a series that we're calling Jesus is Enough. In a life where we are filled with so many longings, so many needs, so many hopes, that the only thing that is enough for us is Jesus himself. And so tonight we're going to see that Jesus is enough for our belonging, our belonging. So uh, if you have your handout on the back, is Colossians 2, 16 to 23. Or if you have your Bible or your device, it'd be great for you to have this in front of you as I read, and then I'll be referencing it as we go along. Starting in verse 16 of Colossians 2. Therefore let no one pass judgment on you, in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God." If with, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings? These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh." This is God's word. It's absolutely true. He gives it to us because he loves us. We pray and we'll get started. Father in heaven, we're grateful for this time to, to worship, to breathe, to take a break from our work, to be reminded of your love for us. I do pray that, Holy Spirit, you'd be at work right now through your word so that we might know you more and love you more and love each other. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever been hit with the feeling that you don't belong? that you're not welcome, that you're not wanted. I was first hit with this feeling in a profound way in the sixth grade. Some of you have probably heard this story before, so I apologize, but it's the only thing I could think of when it comes to this. I was uh, in a group of friends in the sixth grade that had kind of come out of elementary school. We had survived the first year of middle school together, but th this is an age, uh, as you probably well remember, where who you're friends with and what that feels like to the world around you is a very, very big deal. And these friends had become, they had become cool. These were travel soccer friends. <laughs> I was not a travel soccer kid. These were, you know, samba indoor soccer shoe wearing kids, and I was not. These were people who were already into the Dave Matthews band, and I was not. And, um, and one, one day in the, in the cafeteria at lunchtime, uh, nobody was talking at our table. They were all just sort of looking at each other and smiling. I, I, I went to a school where the, the lower middle school and high school were all on the same campus in different buildings. So you would leave lunch and you'd go outside and we could be outside until our next classes had to start. And uh, we, we got outside and my friends looked at each other and then they just took off running. And I didn't really know what was, I didn't really know what was happening. Uh, so I sort of ran off with them, but travel soccer, you know. And I, uh, I, couldn't, I couldn't keep up. And I stopped eventually and gave up, and I went, I went back to class. This is a true story. It's not supposed to be funny. Um, you know, uh, middle school boys are not like 
articulate enough to sit you down and say, you know, hey, Lewis, we're breaking up with you. We don't want to be your, your friend anymore. But, but like, that's what was happening, right? This was like a premeditated, orchestrated move to like ditch me, to, to abandon me, to a group of people who had decided amongst themselves that I, I wasn't one of them anymore. And, and the weirdest thing as I look back on it is that the next day at lunch, I got my tray and I looked around at the table of these guys that I used to sit with and I went and I sat with them again. And the same thing happened again. And as I've looked back about like, why I would do that, I think the reason that I couldn't see what was so obvious that I, I just didn't belong with them anymore is that we just really, really want to. We have this deep-seated longing to belong, to be accepted, to be welcomed, to be a part of something with other people. It's actually one of the most powerful things in our hearts. C.S. Lewis, probably the second most famous Lewis that you know, he, he has this great... Um, <laughs> He has this, this great article. You can, you can just look this up online. I would recommend it based on a talk that he gave at a, at a college graduation uh, called The Inner Ring. And he basically says that this desire to be on the inside, it's one of the most powerful forces in the human heart. And this is actually the force that, that drives most of our interactions and, and most of our activities and most of our relationships in, in college. This is the thing that drives how you think about how you act that first party out at WNL during O week. And you're just like desperately trying to act in a way to make other people think you're, you're not freaking out, even though you are freaking out. What are we trying to do? We're trying to show that we belong, that we belong, that we know what to do, that we have what it takes to be a part of this thing. This is why, this is why sororities have a day where they wear the, their shirt with their letters, that they all, they coordinate this. They're showing like, this is who belongs, like this is who belongs to our thing. And if, and if you're like a potential new member, this is the thing that, that you could belong to, right? That's, that's what, that's what's saying. This is the thing that, that racial and socioeconomic and sexual minorities are asking in a place like Debbie now. Like, do I belong here? Is there a place for me here? And this is why it feels so good when you do like finally find a group of friends and you are welcomed in, when you join the choir, when you get that job offer, there's, there's kind of some official thing of other people saying, like, you belong with us, you're one of us. It, it's a really powerful feeling. And this section in Colossians 2 is, is all about this feeling of belonging. And we know it is because Paul says these two things in verses 16 and 18. In verse 16, he says, let no one pass judgment on you. And then in verse 18, he says, let no one disqualify you. Here's what he's saying. Uh, to, to people who are within this Christian community, if you are a Christian, if you believe in Jesus, don't let anyone tell you that you don't belong. If you believe in Jesus, don't let anyone here tell you that you don't belong. Don't let them exclude you. Don't let them pass judgment on you. And, and the reason in this case that people were being excluded is a part of what we've sort of been talking around and about all this semester in Colossians, that in this Christian church of, of faith in Christ, that this false teaching had infiltrated, that some ideas had come in from the outside. And apparently what these outside teachings are saying is that Jesus is not actually enough for you. He's actually not enough. Faith in Jesus, love towards Jesus is not enough. You actually have to do some other stuff if you want to really belong. And, and I want to, I'm not going to spend too much time here, but I want to look at what they say is these things you have to do, okay? Because this is the most specific uh, sense of that in all Colossians that we get. In, in verse 16, it, it's something in regards to food and drink, to a festival, a new moon, or a Sabbath, which may sound pretty vague, but these are all things that are like directly connected to specific uh, Jewish religious practices. Things like fasting, things like when you have a, a religious holiday, things like celebrating the Sabbath. 
He's saying that those are the things that are, are infiltrating this idea that you have to do all of these specific religious things. And then in verse 18, it gets weird. He talks about asceticism, which is sort of that, that sense of a life of simplicity and modesty and purity, a life of like perfect spirituality. And then he goes on to talk about worshiping angels and having visions. And we don't know exactly what practices were happening, but you get, you get the idea here. This is talking about a certain kind of spiritual experience. Some specific kind of spiritual experience. And so the, the point that Paul's making is that there's a way of thinking about true religion that says you have to adhere to a very specific set of moral and religious standards and activities. And if you do so, you will have this very certain kind of spiritual experience. And that will indicate that you truly belong to God. Okay. Now, uh, I, I may have already lost you because you're probably thinking like new moons and angel worship isn't like my main struggle, dude. Okay. That's not my, that's not the thing that I'm actually worry about. I, I think this stuff is actually a, a big struggle for us, and not those specific issues, but the idea that to really belong, to really be a true Christian, we have to adhere to some specific set of standards and religious activities and morals, and that if we do so, we'll have the right kind of spiritual experience. I, I think we all basically believe that to some degree. I, I know I really struggle with that. And so the question I want to get at is, for us, it's not angel worship and new means. For us, what, what are these standards that we have so what I want to do is I want to talk about what they are, and then I want to look at this text and say, what does the Bible have to say about it, okay? So here's, the, here's how I want to do this. I would like to try to describe a perfect Washington and Lee Christian, okay? Are you with me? I, I'm going to try to describe a perfect one, okay? Here it is. The alarm goes off at 7, and you leap out of bed, energized and rested and excited for the day. You don't have class till 9, so you've got... You know, plenty of time to read your Bible for an hour, pray over coffee, and still run four miles and be showered and ready for class, right? And you haven't missed a day of this in like six years, okay? You have not missed a day. You get to class and they're handing back your midterm papers. And in fact, everyone gets handed back your midterm paper because the professor has asked your permission to share it as an example with the class, right? And everyone's really impressed, but you're not proud. In fact, internally and externally, you're just giving all the glory to God for the favor <laughs> of this paper. It's time for lunch, and you go and you meet with that, that first-year student that you've been praying for and discipling. You meet with them every Tuesday, and they're coming to you with like a really difficult relationship question, but the scripture passage that you've got memorized is like perfect for this moment. <laughs> and you tell them the best advice they've ever heard. And later on, after they do what you say, they text you to tell you how much you mean to them. You spend four hours in the library, phone off, you don't even take a bathroom break. You are in the zone, okay? And then, uh, then you go out to dinner with your pledge class. Lots of different relationships, different circles of friends, no problem at all. It doesn't stress you out. You can perfectly balance all the relationships in your life with you know, love and poise, and no one thinks you're weird for hanging out with those other people. It never happens, right? Of course, at dinner, one of your friends asks you if you feel nervous about your Deloitte interview you had earlier that day. And you're like, no, why would I be nervous? God is in control. In fact, I've never been anxious about anything in my entire life. After dinner, you go to RUF, best night of the week, obviously. In fact, you do something kind of religious Christian most nights. You've got RUF on Tuesday, and you've got small group on Thursday, and you go to church every Sunday where you're in, you know, involved in servicing, service with the children, teaching them the Bible. You're probably uh, on RUF leadership team or a Young Life leader or an Ivy small group leader. and So you've got that meeting as well, and of course, Sunday night worship, and you know, then it's 
time to get back in bed and get up extra early because you've got campus kitchens volunteer service the next morning. And so you got to make sure you have time to do your homework. This is, this is it, right? This is like, this is a perfect, this is a perfect Christian, right? Now, here, let, let me be careful here. I'm not making fun of you, okay? Because this is like, some of y'all are doing some of this stuff, okay? <laughs> I am not making, I'm, I'm really not trying to make fun of you. I'm really not trying to make fun of you, okay? Because some of you guys are doing these things, and it's, it's often really good and really beautiful. But here's the question. Oh, I, f- I, forgot, a whole, I forgot a whole part of my, of my spiel. Can we just go back to it? This, this is <laughs> it's one of the good parts. It's like the most important part of the sermon, obviously. Because on Saturday night, your friends are going out, right? <laughs> and, uh, you know, sometimes you go out, and you, and you never drink, and your friends ask you why you don't drink, and you perfectly articulate why you don't drink out of love for Christ in a way that never makes anyone else feel judged, ever. Okay? <laughs> but sometimes you don't go out, and when you stay in, you don't have FOMO. You're just good. You're just fine. <laughs> that was the rest of my speech. Sorry. <laughs> uh, but when you, and then you get back, you got the Deloitte job, what charity am I going to give my bonus to? You know, whatever. We'll pray about it. Okay, here's my question. Okay, here's my question. Uh, what is Paul? What? What? Is, here's what I think Paul's question is for this kind of for this kind of person. Okay, what do those things accomplish for you in terms of your relationship with God? Your reading your Bible, your praying, your godly relationships, your purity. Your sobriety. What do those things accomplish in terms of your relationship with God? They accomplish nothing in terms of your relationship with God. They accomplish nothing. Uh, I love the movie Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark, one of the great American films. In, in this movie, there's a scene where Indiana Jones is fighting off all these hooligans in the streets of, I think, Cairo, but I'm not totally sure. And... Um, you know, they're all coming at him, and he's beating them all up, and he, you know, they're trying to take him and his girlfriend, and eventually the, this one dude shows up in the street, and he's dressed all in black, and he's got, like, this sword, and he's doing all these, like, sweet spin moves with the sword, all flash, and Indiana Jones just looks at him, takes out his gun, and shoots him and walks off. <laughs> that's your morality. That's your religiosity. That's all of your Christian activities in terms of your relationship with God, in terms of what it accomplishes for you in the eyes of God, all flash. Paul says here, these things are a shadow. They're a shadow. They don't have any real mass to them, no real weight in terms of your relationship with God. And then he, and then he even warns, warns in verse 23 that this kind of good behavior and religious activity, he says it's of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. That means it can make you look like a good person, but doing all those things can't make you be a good person. It's just waving your sword around in terms of your relationship with God. Okay, so we've got this, we've got this perfect Christian, okay? Now, now I want you to imagine uh, someone who's maybe more close to home for most of us, okay? I want you to imagine someone now who uh, is a real Christian and really knows and loves God and believes in Jesus, puts their faith and hope in Him, but if you're honest, that Bible on your desk has been sitting there collecting dust unopened like all semester. And you've been to RUF a couple of times and like church once and you feel kind of bad and you know you should go more, but you just feel like you can't make time for these sorts of things. And, and, and you go out at night and 
you always like think you're not going to drink too much, but then you end up taking it a little further than you meant to, and then you kind of end up in the arms of the same person hooking up, even though you don't want to be that kind of a person. And you're anxious all the time. You feel pulled in a million directions all the time, and you feel exhausted by this. The, the, the question this text is asking is, is that person less religious? Are they less spiritual? Are they less holy? Are they a less good Christian? And what the Bible and what the gospel is telling us, and this is really good news, is that that person's immorality and imperfection and impurity accomplishes the exact same thing that the morality of the perfect Christian accomplishes. In terms of their relationship with God, nothing. Nothing. There is no such thing as a good Christian and a bad Christian. You will not find that in the Bible. There is no such thing as a holy Christian and an impure Christian. You will not find that in the Bible. There is only that those who believe in Jesus belong to God. These two hypothetical people belong to God together. This, this is a really important idea. If you're a Christian here, it's important. If you're not a Christian, this is also really important too. Because even the way, the way that Christians think about non-Christians, Christians are not better than non-Christians. They're not more moral or more pure. The thing that's different about Christians is that through faith in Christ, they belong to God. They belong to God. They are his beloved children. And so what I want to get at is, is how do we know, and this is really where I'm going to kind of try to land a plane here, how do we know that our belonging to God is not based in anything that we do and totally based in God? Paul, Paul kind of gives us two ideas here. The first is that our life is held together by God, and the second is that Jesus died for us, okay? Our life is held together by God, and Jesus died for us, okay? So this, here's what Paul says in verse 19. He says that instead of holding on to these religious practices, these things that he says are a shadow compared to Jesus, who's the real substance, the real thing, that we should, and here's what he says, hold fast to the head, capital H head, that's Jesus, okay, who in Colossians 1 we've already seen is the head of the body. Hold fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. And, and when you say, when you hear body here, the whole body, it's sort of a double meaning. That's like you, your body as a metaphor, you individual self. But body also, as you probably know, the body of Christ is the people of God, the collective, the community of God. That those things are knit together and nourished by what? By God. Going to small group or not going to small group does not hold you together or make you fall apart. Getting drunk or staying sober does not hold you together or make you fall apart. The thing that holds you together is God. He holds your life together. That means that if you have him, you don't need anything else. You don't have to do anything else if you belong to him. You belong because he holds your life together. The second thing is, is we see in verse 20 that Jesus died for you. Here's what it says. It says, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive to the world, do you submit to regulations? Right before this, uh, in verses uh, 14 and 15, which we read last week, if you, if you remember, we read about how Jesus triumphs over all of the authorities and powers of the world. 
He triumphs over them, putting them to open shame, like a king parading his enemy through his streets after he's defeated him in battle. The, the idea here is that in Jesus' death, all of the things that have a claim on you to be a certain way, to do a certain thing, including your own self-righteous sense that you need to be and do certain things for your own self-image, they're destroyed. You've died to them. Paul's saying, if, if Jesus died for you, why are you living as if he hasn't died for you? The thing that identifies you as a Christian is that Jesus died to save you. It's actually not your own morality. This is like at the center of the gospel that Jesus died to save sinners. The center of the gospel is not that Jesus is calling a people to be good enough for him. The center of the gospel is that Jesus died to save sinners. Drunks, whores, liars, thieves. Jesus died to save sinners like you and like me. That's why you belong to him, because he paid the ultimate price. That's why you don't have to be perfectly religious and do all the right religious things. Jesus did the one ultimate, final, highest religious thing in his own sacrifice of himself on the cross. Okay, this, is, this, this last part is really important too, okay? Because you, you may be thinking, if you hear this, that if we belong to God because of what Christ has done, does that mean it doesn't matter if I get wasted? Does that mean it doesn't matter if I have sex? Does that mean it doesn't matter if I read my Bible or not? Does not matter if I go to church or not? Is that what that means? That's not what that means, okay? <laughs> what we do, the way we handle ourselves, the way that we live our lives in our community deeply, deeply matters to God. But why we live the way that we live matters to him even more. Why we live the way that we live matters even more to God. That means that if you're acting righteously, if you're doing all the right things religiously and morally in order to cultivate a sense in yourself or in the eyes of the people around you that you're legit, that you're spiritual, that you're religious, that you're enough on your own, you might as well not be doing what you're doing. According to verse 23, it has no value. It has no value. It is not accomplishing anything. But if you are pursuing purity, if you are reading the Bible, if you are praying, if you are gathering with the rest of God's people in fellowship and in service and in worship of him because you want to know him more, because you want to grow in grace, because you want to participate in his story of love and truth and goodness and beauty in the world, then what you're doing then, you're actually enjoying the benefits of your belonging to God, which is what he wants for you. When we obey Christ because we love him, because he loves us, we're actually enjoying the benefits of the full life, the abundant life that's promised for those who are his children. If you're doing it because you think it makes you look right before God or yourself or others, you might as well stop. It has no value. But if you're doing it because you want to know him more and enjoy him more, he actually is calling you into that kind of life to experience the fullness of belonging. He calls it being his beloved sons and daughters. I, I want to say a few things here by way of application before I finish. The, the first is this. If the, uh, if the perfect Christian, if the good Christian is you, if you're the person who's doing all the right stuff, all the right activities, 
who's never making any of the mistakes that the people around you are making. Then the temptation for you is to look around at the people around you who are not reading their Bibles, who are drinking too much, who are hooking up with random people, who aren't going to church. Your temptation is to look at the people within the Christian community who are living like that and to assume that you are better than them. Paul says it's called puffing yourself up. And what we can do is we can tend to look down on them as lesser Christian than us, as lesser spiritual than us, as lesser holy than us. That was me in college. It's my biggest regret from my four years at Wofford College. That I looked at people around me who who knew and believed in Jesus, and instead of being a friend to them because of the way they were living, I said, you must not be legit. Have fun. It's my biggest regret from college. If that's what your temptation is, if that's what you're doing, you, you need to repent. You need to acknowledge that you belong to God because he died for you, not because of anything that you do. And you need to reach out to your friends who are struggling with these things and be their friend. And love them and support them and forgive them again and again and again, just like you need to be forgiven again and again and again. Okay. Now, uh, for those of you who feel more like this lousy Christian, who can't pull it together at all, who can't do any of this stuff, your, your temptation is going to be to look around at the Christian community and just feel inadequate and to feel unworthy, to say, because of what I did this weekend, I don't really belong. And you need to repent of that too. You belong because your life is held together by God, not by anything you do. Jesus died for you. Jesus died for you. He holds your life together. Uh, Maggie and I's eldest daughter, Ellie Kate, is going to summer camp this summer for the first time. I, I'm, I'm really excited. She thinks, she thinks about it and talks about it every day. I think about it even more than she does. Camp was a, was a big part of my story. I will, I will sometimes secretly late at night or in my office during the workday watch the promo video on YouTube of Camp Mary Mac, and I just cry like the whole time because it is so beautiful. I'm really excited. And one of the things that I'm, I'm most excited about for her to experience is what's going to happen on the so, – some of you here – have been to Camp Mary Mac or worked there, or maybe who, yeah, what's up, Alex? Um, a, lot of great, a lot of great camps out there, obviously. One of the things that's going to happen to her uh, the very first night is what I'm, what I'm sort of most excited about. She's going she's gonna to get to camp, and she's not going to know anybody. And she's not going to have accomplished anything. She's not going to have achieved any award. She's not going to have done anything in any of her activities yet. And the first night, she's going to go to where they've got a big campfire set up, and they've got uh, like a teepee. And the camp is divided into these three tribes. And all the girls who have been there before are kind of organized in their tribes with their colors on, singing their songs and cheering their cheers. And then you've got all the new people who aren't in a tribe yet. And she's going to go into this teepee, and they're going to give her a tribe. And they're going to put the colors of the tribe on her face. And she's going to walk outside, and the girls are going to see what tribe she's in, and they're going to scream, and they're going to freak out, and they're going to jump up, and they're going to grab her, and they're going to pull her into their circle. And she's going to be one of them. She's going to be a Choctaw or whatever she's going to be. She's going to belong with them. She didn't do anything to deserve it. That's us and God. We've done nothing to deserve it, nothing that we bring to the table. This is what Christian baptism is. God gives us this sacrament to give us this outward sign of what's happening in our hearts, that his mark is on us. We are his. We belong to him as his beloved children. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, we praise you 
We praise you that we belong to you. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to repent when we stop believing that that is something that you accomplish. I pray you'd help us repent when we start to believe that we belong because of how good we are. And Lord, I pray you'd help us repent when we think we don't belong because we're not good enough. You died for us and you hold our lives together. Give us the faith to believe that so that we might obey and love as a celebration of our belonging to you. Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen.